Welcome to episode 23 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. 
New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 23 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hello, everybody. And what is new in your life, Jen? Well, it's been an absolutely crazy week in my life. Um, you know, our listeners may know from things we've mentioned that we record a couple of weeks before the release date. So the the big news in in our area right this minute is, of course, the hurricane. So um, Hurricane Irma here in the southeast. So my son was supposed to go to college this week on Friday. They're on the quarter system. He's going to school in Savannah for his freshman year at SCAD which is a college of art and design. Anyway, he was supposed to move in Friday of this week, but because of the hurricane, they um, were going to evacuate Savannah. So he had this idea that if we went down on Wednesday, they were letting people move in. And I called and they were like, sure, come on down. So we'll let you move in. So in between the time that we talked to them and the time we got there, they changed their minds, (laughs) sent us back home. So we got all the way to Savannah, poor disappointed fella. Um, ready to start his freshman year of college. We got all the way down there with all of his stuff. And they're like, no, we're sending everyone home who lives within a five to eight hour radius, which is really smart. You know, I think that was the right choice. But we did get to move his things into his room. They let us do that. But we came back home. So we've we've had a crazy week. And we're just hoping that um, Savannah isn't hit very hard. As, of course, you know, we're thinking about the entire seaboard, you know, southern Florida, all of Florida, Georgia, everything. But poor fella, hopefully he'll get to move into college next week. Well, it's good. I was going to ask if you had to bring all the stuff back, but it's nice. I guess you got to move in the stuff. It was. We, we did. So we, we moved it in. They were moving in lots and lots of students, but um, they have a lot of international students. So they had students, you know, coming from, from overseas. And so they all got to move in, but they, they sent everyone back home. And, and of course, we didn't want him to have to evacuate. So being at home is better than having to do that. But they all got out safely. They actually evacuated the next day. So um, nothing but a little disappointment. But he got moved in to the room, which is a good thing. And everyone is safe. That's good. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, my family was actually in Sanibel Island in Florida, and they had to leave early because of the hurricane. So we shall keep everybody in our prayers and thoughts. You know, what we had to go through is nothing, just a little inconvenience of him having to wait for college. So, you know, my thoughts are with everyone who has property damage through the storm. Leaving your home, that must be really scary, leaving it there. It's got to be, so... All right. Well, shall we jump into our questions for today? Yes, let's do it. Okie dokie. So we have a lot of good ones. So our first question comes from Diana. And the subject is, do different IF schedules offer the same benefits? And Diane says, Hi, Jen and Melanie. Thank you so much for your awesome podcast. I'm really enjoying it. My question regards how to approach different IF schedules And if plans with shorter fasting durations and longer eating windows offer the same benefits, effortless weight loss and maintenance with no calorie counting or restricting, as plans with longer fasts, such as the one meal a day style you both follow. I'm asking because for me, eating one meal a day seems too restrictive, while two is very doable. But is that a slippery slope? 
Does a 16-8 plan with a 16-hour fast and an 8-hour eating window offer the same insulin-lowering, fat-burning, and weight loss benefits as one meal a day with a 4-hour window? Also, it sounds like you both tend to nibble throughout the entire 4 or so hours of your eating window. Does a 16-8 plan need to be approached a little differently, both in terms of overall food intake and in terms of eating distinct meals versus free grazing for the entire 8 hours? even if eating only to satiety either way? In other words, should there be a mini-fast in the middle of an eight-hour window? Sorry this question is so long. Interested to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Diana. Great question. Great question. Yes, um, there are many different window lengths and fast lengths you could you could try and the the key is that you really just have to tinker around with it to find what works for you. Um, We're not all going to be the same. You know, in the one meal a day Facebook group that I I work with, um, some people really do just have a 30-minute eating window every day. They have their meal, they eat it, they move on. And some people, like me and Melanie, we tend to have a, a longer window. Mine tends to be around five hours, but with only one real meal in it. And, you know, people often debate, you know, which is better. And the, the thing is, is there's no one right answer for that. For example... Some people, when they try to restrict their window too short, like they, they say, okay, I'm going to have a one-hour window, no longer, that's what I'm going to do, they find that that triggers binge eating behavior in them. And so for someone like that, a one-hour window would be exactly the wrong thing to do because it makes you feel like you have to cram all the food in in a short period. Um, whereas a longer window, say an eight-hour window, may be too long for some people because you know, you can eat a lot of food in eight hours. Um, I know that I sure could. (laughs) I never lost weight when I tried to do an eight hour eating window. And I just, I feel like I, um, don't reach what we, what we call appetite correction, which is the point where your body lets you know when you've had enough to eat. When I have a longer eating window, I have a harder time getting those signals, the, um, the satiety signals that you want to receive. So I end up overdoing it. So really you're just going to have to try and see, you know, you mentioned, do you want to eat, you know, free grazing for the entire eight hours? I'm not sure that I would do that. Um, and your your thoughts to perhaps, you know, you, you called it a mini fast in the middle of an eight-hour window. That might work beautifully for you. Open your window, have a small meal, stop eating, don't snack, and then have another small meal later within that, that eight-hour time period. That may, that may be an absolutely perfect plan that works well for you. And you may find that you lose weight on that plan. Um, you may not. So keep tinkering with it. Shorten the window. Um, find out what feels most like a lifestyle to you. And, of course, when you're trying to lose weight, you need to tighten up more so than when you actually are reaching the maintenance phase. For me, with maintenance, I have more flexibility than I gave myself when I was trying to lose weight. I I did tend to keep the windows shorter and pay closer attention to my portions when the goal was weight loss. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, I think you addressed that really nicely. Um, I'm similar to you in that I've I've never done an eight-hour window. I've actually never done 16-8. And it's for the same reasons that if once I start eating, I just kind of keep eating. And I I think I would just kind of probably go overboard if I was eating for eight hours. Also, I just feel better in the fasted state during the day. I was really curious to see what your thoughts were going to be on that, having no experience with the eight-hour window, if you thought that there should be like a little mini fast in between. But yeah, no, I think you addressed it 
great. And uh, you're really just going to have to find what works for you, Diana. So whatever makes you most comfortable. There are people who lose weight great on an eight-hour window or a six-hour window or a five-hour window or a three. I mean, really, I I know of people who have made every possible imagine in any window length you can imagine work for them. So you just can't say, here is the way to intermittent fast, do it exactly like this, because we all have different things going on and different approaches. You know, I don't want to have to you know, cram down a meal in an hour. But for some people, they don't feel like they're cramming it down. They just feel like they sit down, they eat their meal, they move on. It feels perfect to them. So there really is not a wrong way. The only wrong way is the way that doesn't work for you. That's perfect. (laughs) That's a perfect way of putting it. (laughs) (laughs) People like to have a rigid, you know, like this is exactly what you must do. And, and we just don't have that. Everybody's different. Yep. All right. Shall we go to our next question? Yes, and this one is from Lucy, and the subject is feeling cold. And Lucy said, Hi, Melanie and Jen. I'm so glad I found you. It would have been a scary journey without you. With your success and support, I've really enjoyed and felt confident in following a one meal a day lifestyle. I have lost inches in the two months I've been one meal a day and found it to be so easy. The one question I have is about feeling the cold. I have been checking my temperature and it never climbs above 96.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Is there anything I can do to increase my resting body temperature? I feel cold so much more than anyone around me and have read of other people fasting, finding the same. What do you think? This is a pretty common, well, I don't don't know how common. I'm actually interested to see what you say, Jen, with the Facebook group. But I do know this, this does happen with a lot of people with intermittent fasting. I know for me personally... I think I do run colder now in general, especially during the fasted period. And there's a few proposed uh, theories behind that. And one of the main ones, and I don't know if you've heard of this one, Jen, but it's that fasting basically increases the blood flow to your body fat regions. And that draws that away from like your hands and your um, extremities. And that can create a sense of coldness. So that's a possible reason. Also, when you're losing fat, just in general, <laughs> fat keeps you warm. And so when you have less of it, you're likely to get more cold. On the positive side, being cold seems to be linked to longevity. We'll put some references in the show notes to various studies which discuss that, which is pretty interesting. Um, But of course, you don't want to feel cold. So what can you do about it? I have a few different suggestions. Um, First of all, make sure that you are eating enough. It's super easy to undereat with intermittent fasting and get too extreme with that, which can definitely lower your basal temperature. So definitely make sure you are eating enough for your body that it needs. You can also focus on particularly thermogenic foods. So those are foods that are going to raise your temperature. So that's things like um, coconut oil specifically, lots of protein. I know for me personally, when I eat more protein, the next day I'm, I'm warmer than on days when I eat less protein. I've noticed that as a very definite thing. A few other things that you can check, make sure your electrolytes are the way they should be and potentially addressing that. And I wouldn't say worst case scenario, but um, if you want to really check things, you can get your thyroid levels checked with a doctor and see where your thyroid is because your thyroid is a key player in body temperature. So what are your thoughts, Jen? 
Yes, I think I think you answered that pretty well with the the thyroid especially. I um have a thyroid nodule and when I was first diagnosed with it, it was also when I was gaining a lot of weight. Um when I gained 50 pounds in a year and a half just boom all of a sudden um back in um gosh, it was about 12 years ago. So I I did a lot of reading about the thyroid and and body temperature and the metabolic rate. And that's actually the way doctors used to diagnose like thyroid. Before they had the blood tests, they would do your, your temp, take your temperature. And if your body temperature ran low, they said, oh, that's your thyroid. And they would prescribe the the thyroid hormone. So um, that was just, that's something from that I always have found to be interesting. I actually have an article that we will link in the show notes that, um, I think it's fascinating, and it goes along with that. The title of the article is, Do the Obese Have Lower Body Temperatures? A New Look at a Forgotten Variable in Energy Balance. And it talks about the relationship between temperature and the metabolic rate. So just as as I mentioned with the thyroid hormone and how they would, they would give people that when they had a low body temperature, and as the body temperature increased, you know, that, that tended to be linked to increased metabolic rate. So... I actually have found that my temperature used to be really low, and now that I have been um, doing intermittent fasting, my temperature has gotten higher. So I can actually feel it. Sometimes after I eat, you know, Melanie mentioned some meals make her feel warmer the next day. For me, I can feel sometimes if I've after I eat, it feels like my metabolism is revving up. I mean, it just feels like that. And I'll take my temperature, and it'll be like 99. So... I really do feel like there's something to that. The article's interesting. It's not a study, but it's just a summary of the effect of, you know, how temperature is related to metabolic rate. And one part they talk about um, actually does say, as your body temperature goes up, so does your metabolic rate. Now, it's interesting what Melanie said before about um, lower temperatures being related to longevity. So... I've actually heard that. I've actually heard that a lower metabolic rate is also linked to longevity. So with all the calorie restriction studies that they do on on longevity. So, you know, now I'm like, oh, no. I've been thinking about this and researching this for a long time because there are literally two completely opposite camps. There are people who say you need to always increase your metabolic rate. That's the key to health and fitness and everything. And then there's the polar opposite side. Right. And they say, no, an increased metabolic rate is actually what encourages aging. Because if you think about it, um, cellular turnover and the metabolism generates a lot of toxic – it can generate toxic byproducts and that could potentially contribute to aging reactive species and stuff like that. So it's really interesting. It's like, I don't know, do you want to be cold all the time and live longer or is it better to be warm? And I, I don't, I don't well, know. I, I don't know. I feel better, you know, now that my, I, I feel better now. I was draggy before. So I guess, you know, if you're cold during the fast and you warm up when you eat, that's the best of both worlds, right? <laughs> yeah. I like getting warm after eating, but I sleep better if I'm not as warm. So I'm trying to figure out the balance between like reaching the right body temperature for sleep. I don't know. There's just so much. It's really interesting in any case. <laughs> it, it really is. But if you do find that your body temperature is constantly low, that, that might be linked to having more difficulty losing weight. So just keep that in mind. And we have had some, we, we, we've talked about this in um, one of my Facebook groups before. And so then people start taking their temperature. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it was just something we were doing for a while. And and some people noticed theirs actually over time did start to go up. So I feel like, you know, we talk about how 
intermittent fasting is protective of metabolic rate. And when we don't want to lower our metabolism to the point that we can't maintain the loss or that we start to gain weight on less food. So, you know, that's something we want to keep in mind. But people who had a, a consistent low body temperature found that over time, through intermittent fasting, it did go up. And that's been my experience. So um, one other thing about feeling cold that I wanted to mention, it is definitely normal. So you shouldn't worry about it as, as something that's that's dangerous. Um, Dr. Herring talks about it in his Fast Five book, that it's, it's something that people who follow a five-hour eating window typically find they're colder during the fast. But I guess just like we fast intermittently, maybe our body temperature goes up and down intermittently. So two things, show notes wise, if you want to look up those studies that we discussed, so you can go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 23, that'll pull up the uh, all the show notes and we'll put links there. And I'll also say, speaking of the thyroid, I've done a ton of research on the thyroid as well, and I have a free thyroid guide on my personal website, um, so that's totally free. So if you'd like that, you can go to... I think it's melanieavalon.com slash, oh, I don't know if it's free guides or guides. So I'll, I'll put a link to the show notes um, in any case. Okie dokie, shall we move on to the next question? Yes, let's do it. All right. So we actually have two questions that are kind of related. So we are going to address both of them at the same time. So the first question comes from Keiko. And side note, I said in a previous podcast that Zoe was my favorite name, which it is. But um, Keiko is my second favorite name, so there's that. <laughs> um, but So Keiko's subject is cellulite, and Keiko says, Hi ladies, I'm loving your podcast. I just started intermittent fasting this week, and I'm already feeling the positive results. Yay. I don't have a lot of weight to lose, only about 15 pounds. But what I want to do is lose the cellulite in my legs. Have you noticed a reduction in cellulite since starting this lifestyle? Thank you. Keiko, pronounced Keiko, and I know this because <laughs> I love that name. And then our next question comes from Denise, and her subject is fat deposits in cellulite. And Denise says, there are areas of stubborn bulges on my body, like my knees, thighs, etc., that seemingly won't go away. I know that many people have their certain trouble spots. How does one's body decide where to use fat stores for energy? Am I forever stuck with these deposits? I'm also wondering about cellulite, the science behind it, and reducing it with IF. All right, so stubborn fat and cellulite. These are great, great questions, and all women, we understand. the. And I don't know, do men have cellulite? They don't do that? I can, I'm going to talk all about that. I did research. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't know if men have cellulite or not. I'm married to a very skinny man, so I don't I don't know. I've never investigated, but I know women typically do have a lot of trouble with cellulite. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it is genetic. And if you have cellulite, you just that's just something you suffer with. And some people don't have it as badly. I is that like the second I hit puberty, like I was a skinny, 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 tomboy looking little girl. And then the minute I hit puberty, bam, there was the cellulite, you know. <laughs> I got my womanly figure and my cellulite at the same time. And even when I was um, at my thinnest ever, I always have struggled with, with the cellulite. So um, I, I definitely feel your pain with that, Kika, or I'm sorry, Keiko and also Denise. As far as does intermittent fasting reduce it? I actually think the answer is yes. Over time, I have found that my cellulite, basically I have it on the back of my thighs the worst. 
um, it has gotten better. Even my husband agrees that that it has improved. So yes, I have noticed a reduction in in the appearance of the cellulite over time. Um, is it still there? Yes, it it always will be for me. I'm sure. Now, as far as Denise's question, how does one's body decide where to use fat stores for energy? You know, don't we wish we could say, all right, you get this, get this fat right here. You know, <laughs> this little bit on my abdomen. Anytime now, I'd like for it to go right. Um, basically, your body just is going to pick and choose where it wants to take the fat. You know, some people tend to gain in other areas than others, and that's just part of of what makes us different. So eventually, as you continue over time, you know, you may reach your goal weight as I have. You know, I I reached it in um, 2015, but my body continues to get better, and I continue to lose, you know, the the, the bat wings under your arms, you know, that the middle-aged women, y'all, we all know about that, right? It's getting better over time. Um, You know, it's still not all... There'll, there'll never be a time when we look at, at ourselves and think, you know, this is just exactly perfect everywhere. I think even probably, you know, the Victoria's Secret models probably have their trouble spots too. But it's just it's just part of what makes us all different. You know, you're going to lose that weight where your body is ready to, to lose it. And um, that's just the way it goes. What do you think, Melanie? I didn't talk about a lot of science, did I? I know you've got some for us. It's okay. I got you covered. I got you covered. Good, good, good. <laughs> um, so, hi, Denise and Keiko. I love these questions. So I will first address the stubborn fat. Um, so I've done a lot of research on this in the past, and I'm pretty familiar <laughs> with this whole concept. So basically, people often perceive that they have this stubborn fat, and they think that it's all in their head. Um, it's actually not. It's actually a very, very real thing. So... Different fat stores on our body are guarded in a way by different types of receptors. So there are alpha receptors and beta receptors. And alpha receptors are, they're really hard to open. They're intense. They're like really locked doors. (laughs) Um, And then beta receptors are easier to open. And so the fat on your body that you can lose pretty easily and gain pretty easily. It's typically guarded by uh, beta receptors, whereas the fat that just seems like really stubborn, it usually has more alpha receptors. Okay, so there's that. So how do we (laughs) open those receptors and burn the fat inside? Well, intermittent fasting is great for that. Um, Basically, you need things called, and I don't know exactly how you say it, but catecholamines, I think. So that's things like epinephrine and norepinephrine. So those serve as like keys in a way. They open those locks, those alpha and beta receptors, and intermittent fasting is wonderful for uh, increasing those. We talked about this earlier, actually, about how it stimulates blood flow to your your fat regions. Um, so those, those catecholamines can get to those receptors and open them in a way. And then also, you're not going to go to your stubborn fat stores unless they're your last resort. Like you're not going to really open them until you really need them. And I think that's why intermittent fasting is so wonderful because by going, you know, for a decent amount of time without eating, you, you just really have to eventually get to that stubborn fat. So it might take a while. I wouldn't encourage you to fixate on it or focus on it, but I do think the longer you do intermittent fasting, the easier it'll be to chip away at that stubborn fat. Okay. So that's stubborn fat. Cellulite. I actually didn't know barely anything about cellulite um, until I got these questions, so I did a lot of research. It's pretty fascinating. So, Jen, you were asking if men get it. 
that's most common in women, and that's because it seems to be specifically related to pregnancy. Apparently, 85% of women over the age of 20 have some degree of cellulite, so that's a lot of a lot of women. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the thing about cellulite and the reason that it's like so noticeable and weird is because it's not – so we basically are fat. We have two main – storage layers we have our subcutaneous fat that's that's the fat that's right below the skin and then we have our visceral fat that is deeper um, within our body and so most of our stubborn fat is actually deeper within our body cellulite is actually stored right beneath the skin so that's why you can see it and that's why it's like this weird bulgy appearance women who have cellulite their their skin layer can be five times thicker than a woman who doesn't have cellulite. So basically, it's not the easiest thing to get rid of. (laughs) Um, But it seems like kind of similar to what I talked about before with the receptors guarding the fat and everything. It seems really important to specifically unlock the cellulite deposits um, in order to burn it. This might actually be be a case where topical treatments might actually be helpful in addition to fasting, and I can't speak for any specific products or anything like that, but they do make cellulite products that are supposed to somehow get rid of your cellulite. But what those do is they typically contain different compounds like um, caffeine or different herbal compounds that actually, in a way, unlock that that cellulite. And then, of course, if the, it's not going to burn the fat itself, the cream, but if you're in a fat-burning state, which intermittent fasting <laughs> is great for that, um, then that's a great way to unlock that, like specifically target that cellulite and then use fasting to burn the fat inside. So I think that that might be a good route to consider. Maybe I'll, I'll do some research and see if I can find some. I have actually, I did find one cream in the past that worked pretty well, so I might um, look that up. Uh, but yeah, so you can go to the show notes for more information about all of that. But it's pretty interesting. Yeah, from what I've read about those creams, I always was under the impression that they just like fixed the appearance of the cellulite, like made it look more smooth. I I never could find any that actually would like, you know, remove it. <laughs> well, like, so the caffeine is usually a main ingredient in those and those are going right. to draw out water, which will make it look better. But at the same time, caffeine is a great compound for unlocking fat stores. In any case, I think um, intermittent fasting is definitely good for it. I think so too. And just, you know, the fact that you said that you found the statistic 85% of women have cellulite, we're very self-conscious about it. But, you know, we think that, you know, all these models and actresses don't have it, but all those photos, they're all airbrushed. They do. (laughs) They have it too. And, you know, we just need to be confident and say, you know what, this is what a real body looks like. So I've started, you know, I used to be a lot more self-conscious even when I was in college. And I was, you know, what, 18, 19 years old and I was worried about it and I would cover up. But now that I'm, you know, 48, I'm just walking around in my bathing suit. I'm like, here I am. Yeah. I think that's definitely the way to be. (laughs) Love your body. Exactly. And it loves and recognize you. that yeah, and that nobody has even the, the models don't have the perfect body because they're airbrushing those too. So, you know, we we just have to recognize that yeah, you're gonna have some cellulite, you're gonna have some stubborn areas and um that's normal. So it's almost crazy just in our modern society as far as social media and airbrush pictures and everything, what 
we have to deal with because we're constantly we're constantly comparing the worst of ourselves and our opinion right. to the best fakeness in a way of like well, to be idolized versions of other people. I don't know if you've ever seen these articles that where they'll show like the before and after of the photos, but those are my favorite, like the, the airbrush photos. I love, love those. You can search for that probably somewhere on the internet, but they'll have like the real photo and then they'll have, like, they, I remember there was one of Madonna. Like, there's Madonna in the real photo, and there's the airbrushed Madonna. And it's like, I mean, she just looks normal in <laughs> the regular one. But the airbrushed one, she looks like she's perfect. And then she really isn't. So, all right, are we ready for the next question? Yes. This is from Alex. And Alex says, hello, love the podcast. I understand the basics of the science behind IF. Your body uses up its energy stores during the fast, then switches to your fat stores. I can see why diets don't work as they are restrictive and make you feel bad. But how do diets get your body to access your fat stores with no fasting time? For example, when calorie counting, when is it that your body switches to your fat stores? And if it doesn't know, how do you lose fat when calorie counting? And if it does, why doesn't this keep your metabolism going like IF does? Thanks, Alex. Hi, Alex. Thank you for your question. This is a great question. We have to look at this very objectively in a very black and white manner, um, and I think that's not exactly the way it's going on. I honestly don't think we there's like a definite moment where we switch from one fuel substrate to the other. Our bodies are constantly using a lot of different potential fuel uh, sources, depending on what is best at the moment, depending on nutrient availability, depending on a ton of factors. So it's not like you're, oh, I'm just burning carbs right now. Well, you might be, but in general, I don't think it's like, I'm just burning carbs. I'm just burning fat. I'm just whatever. Um, you're going to switch between different things. And now in general, with intermittent fasting overall, you're going to be in more of a fat burning mode during the fat burning state. And I could go like hardcore into the science of everything. I'm not going to. I'm actually going to refer you to, I don't know if you're, if anybody's familiar with Chris Master John. Are you familiar with Chris Master John, Jen? Yes. I love Chris Master John. Um, so on his website, he has a lot of, he actually has a podcast as well, but he has an amazing, actually a podcast on this very topic on utilizing different energy sources. It's super technical and super in-depth, but it's also super amazing. So if you want to know exactly about when your body is using which fuel substrate, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to that podcast. To more generally address your question, Alex, calorie restriction versus intermittent fasting, and how do you access fat stores if you're not fasting? Um, and that's a good question as well, because once you get in a once you get into intermittent fasting, you might be like, how would I ever burn fat if I'm not fasted? It really does come down to a calorie deficit. Your body has to get energy from somewhere and it's going to do whatever it's got to do to get that energy. Otherwise, you would die, honestly. <laughs> like you would just stop functioning. Um, so if you're following a calorie-restricted diet, it's miserable. It's probably not sustainable. But if you are taking in less calories ultimately than you're burning, you're going to lose fat. Your body is going to, at some point, switch to your body fat stores. Now, the reason that's not protective of your metabolism is because in a calorie-restricted diet, your body's basically conditioned to constantly wait for what you're eating. And so you're going to be relying on that rather on your body fat stores for energy. Whereas with intermittent fasting, you're basically training your body when there's not food coming in to go straight to your body fat and use that for energy. So in a way, 
you're burning way more calories than you likely are when you're calorie restricted because of the resistance that's there. Um, so what are your thoughts? Jen? Well, I also think that when we do the typical um, low calorie diet where you're eating frequently, your body is also going to be more likely to tap into to muscle and burn that. You know, we all, we talk about how you lose, you lose muscle mass when you diet. And so intermittent fasting is protective of the muscle mass because as Melanie just said, your body goes, learns how to go straight to your fat stores. And so you can access the fat stores and your body doesn't want to burn the muscle. Whereas if you're um, doing the, the low calorie typical diet where you're eating during the day, your body does chip away at that at that muscle and your fat, um, and that's what we want to avoid. Intermittent fasting is very protective of of muscle mass, so and it's all happening at the hormonal level. And as Melanie said, it's not the switch of like this versus that. There's a lot going on. You know, if your body is metabolically flexible, it can switch back and forth as it needs to. The key is intermittent fasting does train your body to become metabolically flexible and to access the fat stores that we want them to access during the fast. I mean, the research is very clear. Low calorie dieting over a long period of time will slow your metabolic rate. Intermittent fasting does not. So you know, clearly there is something different going on in your body with that. And it has to do with the perception of, of whether your body is in an energy deficit or not. And the fasting is protective of that. Your body does not think, oh gosh, I'm in an emergency, I better slow things down. Whereas on the regular low-calorie diet, your body senses that there's not enough food coming in. As Melanie said, your body is trained to rely on that food. All right. Shall we go to our next question? Yes. Let's do it. All right. So this question comes from Nathan, and the subject is feedback, going out on IF, and brain function. And Nathan says, hello, Melanie and Jen. I'm 18, and I've been doing IF since October 2016, and I've enjoyed the lifestyle of eating massive meals and fasting. I've been listening to your podcast from July 2017 from London, and then loved it so much. My favorite podcast episode has been episode number 11, which explains the challenges of mental and physical hunger in explaining IF to family and friends. My question is, what do you do if you're out with your family or friends on a social gathering for the entire day? I get stressed on how should I break the fast, as I don't know if I should fast longer and break it in the late evening, or should I break my fast with my family or friends? I don't mind fasting for very long hours, such as a 21-3 fasting and eating window, but I get commented on why I don't eat when everyone else is eating. I don't know if I should break my fasting when everyone else is eating because I don't know if the food will be healthy or filling and won't know if I can get enough food to satiate me. I have sometimes brought my meals with me on these days, but have been told that it looks disrespectful, especially on weddings or funerals. Do I need to be more relaxed on these days rather than making sure that I achieve a calorie deficit? And what are the effects of IF? Oh, and then he, new question from uh, from Nathan. He says, also, what are the effects of IF on brain function? Thank you so much for committing your time into these podcasts, and I wish you the best for the future. Nathan, and I love this question. I do too. It's a great question. It made me think of so many things. So many things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nathan, um, first of all, I'm like, address the the short one at the end where you I was going to say let's let's knock out the yeah, brain one let's first tackle the, yeah <laughs> as far as the the effects of intermittent fasting and brain function 
our brain loves to run on ketones. And so when you're in ketosis, you're going to have just actually enhanced brain function. Um, if you want to find some very interesting reading, look at anything um, Mark Matson has ever written about that. He um, he does research on ketones and the brain and fasting, and um, it's fascinating. But basically, ketones are the best brain fuel around. Do you want to address that one, Melanie? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll put links to the show notes to a lot of the studies. But like you said, ketones during the fasted state, your brain loves them. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons people feel so good on intermittent fasting is because your brain just has this steady, non-toxic – and I say non-toxic fuel uh, source because glucose actually generates um, free radicals more than ketones. It's more of a clean-burning fuel source. So you just feel really good. Like your brain <laughs> brain feels good. Um, and yeah, there have been studies on intermittent fasting or on fasting and intermittent fasting in the brain. And they find so many things. Like it can stimulate uh, neural regeneration. So new brain cells, which is kind of amazing. Kind of means your brain is never past the point of no return. <laughs> um, it can also keep the brain clean. Like we talk about autophagy a lot. And that's where um, there's like a, a cleaning out process and a utilization of old protein. So that can actually occur in the brain as well. It decreases inflammation, uh, lowers glucose levels like I talked about, which can just improve mitochondrial function, just so many things. And this just made me think of something that someone mentioned actually today in one of the Facebook groups. Um, You know, we always get questions about exogenous ketones and we've answered those on the show before, but someone in the group actually gives her husband exogenous ketones. He suffers from Alzheimer's. And the the um the ketones, the exogenous ketones, she said, make a big difference in his level of mental clarity. So that is one case when, of course, we would recommend the exogenous ketones because it's helping her husband, you know, with his, his Alzheimer's condition. So, yes, ketones and brain function, that's what you're looking for. All right, back to the other parts of Nathan's question. Question, I have, um, Nathan, I had to chuckle at the part about bringing your meals with you. Me too. Because I think I mentioned this yeah. on an earlier episode, the the famous spaghetti dinner when I was calorie counting back in the nineties, and my family was having spaghetti. So I brought my I brought my um, <laughs> frozen two hundred and twenty calorie spaghetti dinner with me, and they still okay. Look, this has been since the nineteen nineties, the early nineteen nineties, and they will still make fun of me for that. So. My advice is do not. Take I was going to say I was going to say my, my one thing, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do, don't it. do it. Do not take your food with you to a Stop. to a wedding or don't do it. because um, my family will still never let me hear the end of that. But here's the thing about um intermittent fasting. You learn that hunger is not an emergency. I have learned if I'm going somewhere, I will look around to see what is available. And then I will decide if it is worth my time to eat that and to, to break my fast early that day. And it might be. You know, you talked about what do you do if you're out with your family or friends on a social gathering or for the whole day. You don't have to eat just because everybody else is, but you can if you want to. Eating is a social thing that we do with our family and our friends. And, of course, you know, if you have these social events once a week, you know, that's going to be part of your lifestyle and you need to have a plan for that. Maybe an earlier window and a shorter window that day. You know, you eat early in the day and not later because it, it can be a slippery slope. You know, if these events happen frequently, then you've got to have a plan for that. But if they're infrequent, 
then you just say, okay, today I'm going to go with the flow. I'm going to look and see what there is. And if it's something that is going to be worth my time, I'm going to open my window earlier today. Or if it's an all-day event, you can still not open your window at first and it, just enjoy the social aspect of it and then open your window later. I find that people, when once they see you enjoying yourself with food, they see that you are eating later in the day, they they don't worry so much. You know, if, if they never see you eat again for the rest of your life, you know, they're, they're probably going to worry. But just go with the flow and think about, how it fits into every different event. Yeah. Um, Nathan, you're definitely not alone in this. Actually, so in the new version of my book, which, oh, this is something new. It was called The What, When, Wine Diet, Paleo and Intermittent Fasting for Health and Weight Loss. Well, that's the original self-published version. Now it's going to be just called What, When, Wine. Oh. There's no diet. They nixed the diet. And it has a different subtitle. But regardless, um, I actually like it without the diet. Better. I know it was weird. I, it was weird to like let it go because I've, I've, it's been the what when wine diet for so long for me. Oh, listeners, if you're not familiar, I self-published a book. It got picked up by a publisher and a literary agent. So there's going to be a new version, like the dream version. Eighty percent new content tackles all the stuff. Has tons of recipes. I'm like really excited about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the title now is what when wine. I love it's like it. weird to let go of the diet, but yeah, yeah. Um, why was I talking? Oh, because um, so something I majorly expanded on in the new version of the book, which I will put a link to the show notes to, is um the social aspect. I have an entire chapter based on just this because this is so big, and people really struggle with this, and people just freak out if you don't eat. Like they just freak out. <laughs> so Nathan. A few things I will add, just what Jen said, because everything you said, Jen, was really great. I totally get why you don't want to break your fast. I think the reason that you don't want to break your fast is key to to ascertain whether or not you should. Um, So, for example, I wouldn't break my fast like you said about you don't know if the food will be healthy or filling. Okay. If you know the food available isn't healthy for you personally and doesn't work well with your body is not going to make you feel good don't eat it there's no reason to eat that food to make other people happy it just doesn't i don't know i could go into like a huge like what's the word um esoteric discussion about this whole concept um but if you know the food is going to make you feel bad because of the content of it i encourage you to just stick to your guns and don't eat it If it's because, though, like you said, that you want to make sure you achieve a calorie deficit, which, okay, so that's key because that means the reason you're not breaking your fast is because you want to sustain, you know, your your fat burning. If this is a social gathering that's important and you're with your family and the reason that you don't want to eat is just because of the calorie deficit, I would encourage you to just like let that go out the window. Um, It's one day. You might even benefit from eating more that day or from mixing things up. So if that's the motivation, I would just encourage you to go ahead and eat if it's appropriate. I like what you said, Jen. I agree about if if it is like a a really long social thing that you're at, not eating in the beginning and then just waiting till later. And then Nathan talks about he doesn't know if he'll be be able to eat enough. I don't stress about that either because I know if I'm still hungry, when I get home, I can eat more. So (laughs) it'll all be okay. I would encourage you to... 
do what makes what makes you feel best. Don't do it based on what other people are thinking. We don't know what they're thinking unless they tell you straight up. Um, but in any case, that's not your concern. You need to do what makes your body feel good and what makes you feel good in the moment. And I do encourage you, of course, to be respectful of other people, but it's not disrespectful in my personal opinion to not eat something because it doesn't make you feel good. You can tell people either you're not hungry or that it just, you know, that food isn't good for you. Um, but I just encourage you to not not worry as much about other people while still being respectful of other people's choices. So I just wish we could just all be respectful of everybody's choices. It's true. Uh, that would just make things so yes, easy. Yes, it would. And I do have to, to piggyback on something that, sure. that you mentioned about it, whether it's going to be filling or satisfy you. I actually do think about that when I'm somewhere and deciding if I'm going to eat. Um, for example, I went to a group meeting and I hadn't eaten. And it was past when I normally would um, – break my fast and I looked around and there were just like little tiny snacks and I knew that if I if I open my window with these tiny little snacks then within an hour I'm going to be starving and shaky and and like need to eat so it's actually easier for me to it, to not eat and just wait and open my window later than it would be to start with something tiny. So that is a, that is a good point. Or if like if they had cake and cookies, I would never open my window with that. So yeah, because that happens a lot. You know, you'll go so, to something and they'll have like just little tiny little snacky things. And no, I am not going to do that to myself if I know I'm not going to be able to actually eat something substantial. I won't eat at all, and I'll feel better with that. So I, I did. I do get that point, Nathan, because I agree. That's a great point. And I know I sound like a never-ending commercial plug now, but I, I like did a ton of brainstorming on this for the book. So if anybody wants to pre-order What When Wine, there's like tons of tips and tricks because I like I did a lot of thinking. <laughs> a lot of, and we I have Jen and I both have a lot of experience with this. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah, because it's you know, it's gonna happen. You're you're going to be around people and you're gonna be not eating and I find really so many people don't even notice, but of course your family does because <laughs> they notice everything you do, right? Yeah, no, that's that's so true. <laughs> I was going to say in general, most people are more concerned paying attention to themselves <laughs> than others, Yeah, except for the family. The family can kind of freak out and the, I think like close friends. I actually one time went to a party with um, my husband and his, his my husband's coworkers and I was doing a crazy diet at the time. So everyone was eating and drinking and I just drank water the whole time and no one even noticed that I was not eating or drinking anything but water. I mean, they literally did not even notice. So that was funny because I worried, are they going to notice I'm not drinking? Are they going to notice I'm not eating? No, no one noticed at all. <laughs> but um, definitely, we said this, uh, don't bring your lunches. That's when people, or don't bring your own food. They will never that's let when, you forget that's that. When people, that's when people notice. <laughs> That's when they, they are like, okay, this is a – this is yeah, this is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. We ready for the next question? Yes, yes. All right. This is from Jen, J-E-N, Jen, not to be confused with me, G-I-N, Jen. All right. So Jen says, thank you for the work you do. I listen religiously. As I understand, many people on one meal a day are aiming for a 23-1 window for added weight loss benefits. That would be a, a one-hour eating window, 23 hours fasting. It seems that for weight loss, the shorter the window, the better. However, I find that after eating my meal, usually a huge plate of salad or sautéed veggies with varying sauces, 
pesto, butter with salt, olive oil, etc. I'm a vegetarian. I'm stuffed. While my meal is big in quantity, I don't think it is very big in calories, and I usually crave something else later, for example, fruit with nut butter or coconut cream, but feel too full to cram it in right after the meal, but also don't want to miss out on the dessert slash snack as it satiates me. My question, is it better to eat everything within that hour and just feel overly full? This seems counterintuitive and doesn't feel good in my body. Or is it okay to wait and eat my dessert or second small snack an hour or two later after my first meal? This seems more natural and I enjoy it more. However, I am looking to lose 10 pounds and don't know if the expanded eating window is counterproductive to my weight loss efforts as I am not losing anything yet. I would be greatly appreciative if you could address this question and speak to what works best for the both of you. Thanks. Hi, Jen. This is a wonderful, awesome question. My answer is pretty short. Um, I definitely think we should do what feels best and be intuitive with our body. Never cram. I don't like the idea of cramming. Um, so I would definitely encourage you to do exactly what you just you said about eating and then waiting a little bit later and having your dessert. Stuffing yourself crazy just for the point of eating and doing it because you think your body needs it is not good. Your your body will let you know what it needs. So I guess really the only thing to address is you're, you're wondering if it's counterproductive because you're not losing anything yet. And I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on that, Jen, because I do think she should probably elongate her window. But if she's not seeing weight loss and she says she's not new to this way of eating, what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, um, I forgot to read the the subject, by the way, which is funny, and I'm sorry, I forgot it. The subject is cram it in or space it out. So <laughs> I think I think the subject was important, so I'm sorry I missed that, um, the subject line. But, you know, she says she's not new to the, the, the way of eating, but I, I don't know what she means by how long she's been doing it. So, you know, it sounds like she's eating high-quality foods. It sounds like she's... Um, eating the right things, but I, I agree with you that it would be probably best for her to space it out, especially this sentence where she says, this seems more natural and I enjoy it more. So there was a period of time when I did do 23-1 when I was trying to lose those last 10 pounds like like you're um, trying to do here, because those really are the slowest. If you only have 10 pounds to lose, I mean, it could take you a really long time, but I um, did go to 23-1 just for a little while. But I didn't, like, overly cram in the food. Like, I just, I ate. And and really, it might be, you know, you're starting with a salad. That might be part of it because the salad will fill you up but not provide a lot of um, a lot of bang for the buck because it's, you know, very, not very um, calorie dense. So when I was doing that 23-1 and trying to lose the weight faster, I would eat a lot of things like potatoes with butter and sour cream and beans and rice with sour cream and sauteed veggies. So I what I had was a, a good amount of food and it was more, you know, calorie dense food. So I was full and satisfied and not feeling like I had, you know, overeaten, but later I didn't get hungry either. So the key is if you really want to stick to a 23-1 window, maybe think about what you're eating and have things that are more nutrient dense. That might that might help you get in the um you know, more food without feeling like you're cramming it in. Because I remember that period of time and I felt very satisfied in that one hour window. 
but it, I think it was a lot of what I was choosing to eat. I think if I had started with a, a big salad, then I probably would have been hungry later. But instead, I ate foods that I knew would keep me satisfied for the rest of the evening. And as far as like, you know, wanting something sweet, I was eating berries with heavy cream at that time. And um, it, it made me feel like I got that little bit of something sweet, but not, you know, hours later. So you can make a 23-1 work for you, but I would be strategic with what you're eating. Because no, you don't want to be stuffed and cramming it in and feel uncomfortable. You want it to feel good for you. So I guess the takeaway is think about what you're eating Space it out more if you're starting with salads, but if you're only trying to lose 10 pounds, it might be slow. I like what you said about maybe switching things up so that she's getting fuller in the beginning rather than not satisfying herself and then feeling the need to. And so I say this hesitantly, and I don't want people to take this the wrong way because we don't want to make it all about calories or anything like that. But I do know if you're eating fruit with like nut butter specifically, um, or coconut cream, things like that can really quickly rack up the calories, like quickly, and you don't even really realize it. That's why for me personally, I don't like to go to, um, it's not that it's not necessarily processed, but like nut butter is basically all the fat from, from the nuts. So I would rather eat just like straight up nuts. Could be that you think you're eating low calorie, but Really, you're taking in more than you realize. I don't want you to start counting calories. I don't want you to get into a restrictive mindset. I I think what Jen said is really good about maybe switching things around a little bit, maybe starting with something that's more filling, more substantial. Maybe then you won't need the fruit with the additional nut butter or coconut cream. Maybe you could just go the fruit route like I often do. Yeah. (laughs) Like I think about if I had soup, you know, if I started and opened my window with a, a big bowl of soup, that's you know, not very, very nutrient dense. I mean, it might have good nutrients in it, but it's also a whole lot of water. So I would get filled up, but I really haven't had very much actual food because it's, you know, very watery. So I might be too full to eat anything else, but then an hour and a half later, I'm going to be hungry. So it just, it really does matter what, what you're choosing to eat as far as being, being satisfied and full. All right. Well, These were all really, really wonderful questions, everybody. Please keep them coming. So a few last thoughts. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, we would love, love, love to hear them. So there are two ways that you can do that. You can send an email to questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to our website, which is ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions directly there. Speaking of that website, that's also where you're going to find the show notes that we talk about. So that's where we're going to put all of the studies that we talked about. And I think today we talked about a lot of studies. So there'll be a lot of links there. We'll also put links to any products or any of the stuff that we talk about that we use. um, So you can find that as well. So for this episode specifically, just go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 23. Of course, all the show notes are there for all the episodes. So you can find all the stuff. Um, Then something else to mention, if you are in iTunes, we would love, love, love if you could write a review of the podcast. That would just be so absolutely wonderful. We would really, really appreciate that. And also when you're in iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcast and then you will automatically get the episodes downloaded and you won't even have to do anything. They'll just pop up magically. So yeah, anything else to add? 
No, I think that's it. We had some great questions as usual, and people keep them coming. Yep, keep them coming. Keep fasting. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I will talk to you next week, Melanie. Yes, you too, Jen. All right, All right. bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.